Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, There is no help for him in God. Selah. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter of mine head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. Selah. I laid me down and slept. I awaked, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, and save me, O my God, for thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone, thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord, thy blessing is upon thy people. Selah. Today we are looking at Psalm 3, which is the very first prayer psalm. Prayer, uh, I forget the term, but prayer psalm, yeah. Um, The first two, as we know, were introductory psalms, more like thesis statements for the book of the psalms, and now this one is the first, perhaps, actual psalm, and it's directly speaking to God, the first word. Uh, in my Bible is, Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? So this marks a bit of a transition from the introductions to now the very personal Psalms we see. And obviously in the next couple of weeks, we're going to have many more, oh, this is the first whatever Psalms, the first whatever Psalm. So I do think that the early Psalms are probably um, characteristic of certain things, like they probably uh, might give you a pattern for the prayer psalms in the future or the penitent psalms that you'll see later. Uh, and Psalm 3 is a very good example of a, uh, an urgent prayer to God in the form of the psalms. Uh, so let's kind of talk about what David here is praying about and um, how he believes God will respond. This psalm has an introduction to it or a heading, it says it's a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. So if you'll recall, this is quite the drama when he fled from Absalom, his son. This is uh, more evidence that the psalms are not chronologically ordered because David was actually pretty old at this point. Um, He'd been king for quite some time when Absalom rebelled. So you'll recall Absalom, I'll just tell you the story real quick. Uh, Absalom was a son of David. David had quite a few sons. And um, because he had quite a few wives, he was able to have a lot of children. And uh, Absalom was the second oldest son. His uh, David's other son had already planned a coup as well. And Absalom was the second coup holder, uh, coup head, whatever. So what happened was um, Absalom had, uh, well, there's, there's a quite a bit of backstory. Absalom was kind of out of David's good graces because he had killed his brother for 
raping his sister. So this was his half-brother was in love with his sis- with Absalom's full sister, uh, Tamar. And uh, he raped her, even though Tamar was like, I, if you just ask to marry me, I'm sure we can work something out. But we can't just sleep together right now. We can't do it. And he didn't listen to her. So he raped her. And then she was obviously distraught. She went to Absalom for help, which tells you something about the family in general, that she went to Absalom and not to her father for protection and help. Um, Says something about their relationship, you know. And Absalom said, you just wait here. Um, He throws a feast and then he decides to kill his half-brother. Uh, David is not happy about this. <laughs> David uh, is a bit upset and he kind of banishes Absalom away. And then a couple, a while goes by, Joab comes to David and says, uh, tells this, he, he uh, coerces, or he asks a man to come and tell this story about, or a woman, I'm sorry, a woman to come and tell this story about how her sons, one of them, you know, is dead and the other one accidentally killed somebody or, you know, did something wrong and everybody's out to avenge him and if to avenge the blood of the person that he killed. And if he dies, then she'll have nobody left. And, you know, please advocate for my living son, who is also disliked by everybody. And David is totally on her side. It's like, yeah, we'll protect him. And then she says, well, what about Absalom? (laughs) He's like, oh my goodness, Joab put you up to this, didn't he? So anyway, he invites Absalom back, doesn't see him for a while, um, finally kind of reconciles. And Absalom, though, is a bit upset about this. And he begins to go out into the courtyard and ask people what their problems are, saying like, oh, if I were the king... If only there was a king who would listen to your problems, but nobody here can do that. You know, if I were king, I would definitely make this a priority. And so the people's hearts turned away from David and toward Absalom. And this is the, and at that point, he then, once he has this vast amount of support, he then uh, takes over and he, he launches his campaign to reign as king. And that is when David flees, and that is when he writes this psalm. When everybody, even his own son, has turned against him. And given the story that you've heard, you can tell that it was somewhat justified, right? Like, he wasn't wrong. Uh, Absalom was not wrong in that David was a pretty bad father in many ways. Um, And he wasn't the perfect, he wasn't the perfect guy. He wasn't the perfect king. And so, um, this betrayal and this awareness that it's kind of partly his fault because he didn't raise his children right, uh, that is really causing David a lot of torment here. I just want to look at one passage here, um, after the story and we told this one passage I think is relevant it's when Shimei curses David in 2 Samuel 16. And he says, 
um, Come out, come out, thou bloody man, and thou man of Belial. The Lord hath returned upon thee all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose stead thou hast reigned. And the Lord hath delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom thy son. And behold, thou art taken in thy mischief, because thou art a bloody man. So not only is David's kingdom being ripped away from him by his son, which is quite the traumatic thing to go through, he's being told that it is God's judgment upon him, not just, you know, something bad happening and this persecution from the evil men, but rather a chastening from God himself. And this is what makes it really hard for David to endure. And so that is what David is saying, referencing here in Psalm 3, verse 2. He says, many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. He's not saying that the peop- the accusers are not saying that God is unable to help him, but rather that God is unwilling to help him. And he deserves this punishment and God has turned against him, basically. And David responds to this accusation by saying, But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. Um, He says, I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill, Selah. I laid me down and slept. I awaked, for the Lord sustained me. So these these two verses, verses 4 and 5, are referencing the past, right? This is all past tense. I cried to the Lord. He heard me. I laid me down. I slept. I awaked. The Lord sustained me. All these things have happened in the past. And that is what David looks to, not to his current feelings, not to the current situation, not to the words that the haters are uh, yelling at him, but he looks at the evidence of God's provision in the past. He, um, and that is his evidence for how God is going to act in the future. And because we are temporal beings, you know, we do have to look either to the past or to the present to, to look for the truth. And we can't rely on our anxieties about the future to inform us. We have to look at the past. And God is always faithful. He has been faithful to David in the past, and David knows that he will be faithful then in the future. He says that therefore, he doesn't say therefore, but in verse 6 he says, I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. So because of the past, I will not be afraid in the future. And then he calls upon God again to save him. Uh, He ends then, With salvation belongeth unto the Lord, thy blessing is upon thy people. Selah. So David knows, even though he's struggling, even though he's feeling really bad, he knows that who God is, is important uh, and is consistent. And that that is what matters. It's not about David. It's not about David's wrongdoings. It is about God who has made a covenant with his people and who always keeps his covenant. The last thing is that with this last verse, uh, salvation belongeth unto the Lord. 
That's not just saying that the Lord can give salvation to whoever he chooses, but that God is the only one who can give salvation, right? It's not saying God uh, possesses salvation or salvation is found in the Lord. It says salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. And it's not that, you know, every anybody can give salvation. It's not that the enemies of David can give salvation to some people and take it away from others. God is the only one who decides who he will save. And he's the only one who decides who to bless, who is his people or who are his people. And that is something to remember, right? It's that no Shimei doesn't get to say who David belongs to. He doesn't get to say whether God is happy with David or not, whether God is chasing him or punishing him or rejecting him or um, right there to save him, you know, with some grand plan for redemption. He doesn't know. Shimei doesn't know. Uh, No one knows, really, except God. And that is something to remember, too, is that God's past actions can tell us you know, what he will do in the future, Uh, or at least they tell us about his character, that we can rely on him in the future to be good and to be righteous. But we also know that uh, he is the authority on these matters. And uh, when it comes to our salvation, when it comes to judgment, he is the only one who can decide those things. And to not let other people's slander or reproaches or lies distract us from who God is. And that's what David does here. He focuses on God at the end. He begins by talking to God, saying, God, look at all these people who are tormenting me. And he ends by saying, God, it's in your hands. You have salvation. You will bless your people. And that is, I think, a lesson we can all take is to that our prayers should bring us around to really realizing and reinforcing to ourselves and letting God reinforce to us the truths that we know about God, not about our current circumstances, not about our pain, not about our troubles, but about God and who God is. Because if your future is in God which it is, is with God, and you know who God is, then you have nothing to fear for the future. I hope you enjoyed that little interpretation and talk about Psalm 3. It was a bit shorter than the last couple of Psalms, but I really enjoyed it, and I do love this Psalm. It's um, it's really beautiful and inspiring. The more the more I read it, the more I realize how much the Psalms really teach us about God and about how we should uh, how we should talk to God and interact with him. So anyway, I hope you liked it. Please uh, like and subscribe and leave a comment about um, about the podcast, about your experiences with the Psalms. I'd love to hear about them. This is Girl Meets Bible and I hope you have a wonderful week.